because you're not. Well, then let's get moving here. Oh, so we went on our honeymoon to Hawaii. Oh, wow. That was fun. Where that did you go? In 1980. Okay, your life. Where did we go? Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to hold that for another day. Okay, here we go. Yut. Arms and closed hand. Associated with the word hand, work, throw, and worship. Your hands made me and formed me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. Make those who fear you rejoice when they see me, for I have put my hope in your word. I know, O oh Lord, that your laws are righteous, and in faithfulness you have afflicted me. May your unfailing love be my comfort according to your promise to your servant. Let your compassion come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. May the arrogant be put to shame for wronging me without cause, but I will meditate on your precepts. May those who fear you turn to me, those who understand your statutes. May my heart be blameless towards your decrees, that I may not be put to shame. Amen. Amen. Okay, we've got a couple of uh, what we can do. Do not hold this up to the camera, but I told you about some people that uh, are in Pakistan that both accepted the Lord and have Bibles. And uh, that's them, so you can remember their faces and uh, uh, keep them in prayer. Uh, don't give their name. Don't do that. Yeah. Uh, he uh, he uh, he uh, said that um, uh, he doesn't want his name said out loud because uh, yeah. they could get. Uh, he's even. He wants to tell his whole family about Jesus, and he's afraid that some of them will do something. Do something. Yeah. That's how serious it is. Um, uh, you know, we often have. Uh, complaints in this life about our situation. Oh, I don't have a new car. I, you know, my my washing machine broke, and I I've got to go to the laundromat or something. Um, yeah, I mean we we, we complain. We find things to complain about in this life. Okay, how difficult we have it. We do. Okay, um, uh, Isaac in Uganda sent me, as he always does, uh, information on who he's helping, what he's doing how he's doing it. And I printed off one photo that he sent me. This is a family, there's four children. The mother isn't in view, but if you look at the house they live in, mm. if you look at their front door, you look at the situation that they're living in, and I'm sorry I can't show the people online, but it, we have no reason to complain about anything in this life. I don't care how bad we have it, we have no reason to complain about anything. That Those people live in that situation that's you know and that's a lot of the world I've been in parts of the world where people live like that so um, when you think that your life is difficult when you think that your life is bad you've got it so good you can't believe it imagine that imagine that situation okay Newtown's a palace yeah, what Newtown is a palace oh Newtown where we are in the projects every week it's a palace it's an absolute palace that's right Th those people have no idea how good they have it and people in America sit and they whine about their lives. They whine about their situation. They have no idea. All they need to do is get on a plane and fly over and see Isaac for a while. Um, okay, I'm going to say this now in case somebody in Sarasota, because we have people in Sarasota that uh, attend this study, but do not um, uh, attend in person. Um, if anybody needs a pest control person, a Christian friend of mine started his own pest control business. And I have that here. I've got his cards here. If you need it for your home, please let me know. Wonderful guy. Um, 
just a wonderful guy. And, you know, he's obviously going to need to get started. So there you go with that. Um, also talking about that, instead of reading this day in Christian history today, I'm just going to go through some things that came in. Um, greetings from New Zealand. Uh, that teaching on Acts 9-1, which is the daily commentary that I send out and post on uh, the Superior Word website and a couple other people do it as well. If you don't get it, uh, shame on you. But um, that teaching on 9-1 was great. I have witnessed someone watching a violent movie. Uh, now remember it said, and you sent a comment about it, Paul was breathing in murder and threats. It doesn't say he was breathing out murder and threats. He was breathing them in. In other words, it was as if it is his existence, murdering and threatening. Okay. Nine one. Oh, the nine one. The verse was nine one. Yes. No, no, no. Nine one. I have witnessed someone watching a violent movie and literally sucking in air, drinking like drinking from a straw, and not even realizing that they are doing it. Saul wouldn't have had TV, but he witnessed the stoning of Stephen and the acts of violence towards Christians he was persecuting. It seems like a lot of these mass shootings, etc., are carried out by people who spend a lot of time on violent videos. There seems to be a spiritual application here. It convicted me to get more into the Bible and Bible studies and less into watching the insanity going on in the world at the moment. So there's a lesson from that somebody sent me. I thought that was good enough to share with you. And then I got one more here. Uh, this is from my friend in um, the UK, Benzer and Sandra Hidako, you know them, they came and visited and uh, uh, wonderful folks, but he said, my friend, and I asked, can I um, say what you said? And he said, yes, my friend in Pakistan has done 20 funerals this week. There was all kinds of flooding, there's all kinds of uh, uh, problems going on there. He said, there is still flooding and power is only on for one hour a day and then off for the other 23. Now get ready for this. That said, he went to a village where the people had lost everything and only managed to save one thing. The Bible. The Bible. When he asked them why they saved it, they said, we could lose our lives and everything else, but we can't afford to buy a Bible, and this is the most precious thing that we have. They had even held it under, held it in their hand above the floodwater as their house was being washed away. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Have a blessed week and be encouraged. Your friends are okay and the gospel is being preached even when disaster strikes. And we think we have it bad here in America. We think that it's okay to skip Bible study. It's okay to not watch a sermon if you're, you know, traveling. Oh, I just skipped that. I'll see it next week. Where are your priorities? Well, those people know their priority, I'll tell you. Okay, we'll skip this week in Christian history and get right into the study. And we'll hope that people will have their priorities on the Word. It's Word 111. On the Word. What a wonderful and Word. People are willing to give up their lives to save a Bible. Right. Unbelievable. Burke, well, oh, yeah, we got to pray. Heavenly. Oh, thank you, Burke, before we do this. We've got some prayer requests. Thank you, Burke. Okay. Uh, Jim is okay. Bob, I have not heard about Bob. I asked to uh, be informed, but uh, I didn't hear from Mike, but I don't have an update on Bob. Um, Stephanie, who we mentioned a while ago, is still asking for her daughter, Sam, uh, and for her as well. They're really struggling with the relationship in the family and how it's affecting her as a person, as a mother. And, you know, people say, I feel like I, I failed. And I said, don't. 
We've all had children, and every one of us has had children that have just driven us crazy. Uh, I always give the example of Franklin Graham, okay? Billy Graham's supposed to be this great Christian, and what does he do? He's got a son that's completely fallen away from the Lord, right? Well, now he's back. I mean, you just have to keep the people in prayer, and you have to just trust that the Lord is doing his thing. Okay, Steve. Steve, who was here last week, and he's not here this week, is going to have heart surgery next Friday. I just got an email from him, and he said it's next Friday. So I was correct. I had people trying to tell me that that was not the case. And so I had to check it, and he got me back to me just in time. So we want to pray for Steve for his heart surgery next Friday. And then I've got an update on Andy. Okay, I just, here, let me read this. It says, um, yes, next Friday the 29th. So there we go. I just, I, I, I thought for sure I was right on that. Okay, um, Andy, they sent a picture of her outside of the hospital. She's been let go. She's sitting there with a beautiful view of downtown Cleveland. It said, good news, Andy was just discharged today. She is now officially tied with the record setter, the earliest and most healthy person on this particular type of operation. She still needs prayer for pain as she, off of, as she is off of all narcotics and continued speedy healing is what they're asking for. Okay, she sends countless thanks to all the prayers and well wishes. The prognosis is excellent from here. So we're happy about that. Yep, I went and saw Emma today. She was not in a good mood, but she's doing much better. But you could tell the strain of just being stuck in the hospital and not being able to communicate properly is just wearing her out. So keep Emma in prayer. And then, oh, just in case somebody here doesn't have one, I have a shredder that works with a, a can for the shredder and a popcorn maker that was never opened and it got thrown away. So there it is in the box still. Yeah, so obviously somebody got a Christmas present. They didn't want it and they just chucked it. Anyway, there you go. That's that over there, but we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are very grateful to read news about people that are willing to exalt your word even above their own lives when they're in a, such a stressful situation as losing their home and everything that they own and yet they're willing to just cherish and protect the word of God. Lord, I'm humbled by that. I just can't even I can't even share my feelings with that to uh, people in the way that I feel them. But we pray for those people and we pray that they will be helped out and uh, comforted in their loss and they know they have a better home waiting for them. And Lord, we thank you for the good news on uh, Andy, and we pray for the other people that we mentioned, the upcoming surgeries and uh, family problems and so on. Lord, you know these things, you know all about them. We pray for happiness for Emma, who's struggling today with uh, her situation, but we thank you that she's continuing to progress. And Lord, we're just so thankful to you for every good blessing you've given us. How great you are, how wonderful you are to us, and how precious your word is. We pray for this class, and we certainly pray that it will be uh, conducted properly with proper doctrine, and uh, if something is said that is not correct, that you would alert us to that. Lord, again, thank you for this word. Thank you that people are willing to uh, search it out, and we would pray that that would be the priority in their lives all the days of their lives. Thank you for that, Lord. We love you, we praise you, and we just cherish you. Thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we have, uh, yes, you start wherever you want, um, yeah, Colossians 1. Back it up to one nine. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord that may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully... Okay, uh, this one, they, they took the words and they turned them around backwards. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. Okay, so uh, there you go with that. It, this just came to mind. If somebody wants that photo that Isaac sent on, he sends on photos and stuff with the people he ministers to all the time. That one just, it shocked me. Um, if somebody wants that, email me and I've got it in computer and I can just send it right on to you and uh, you can print it off and you can think about how difficult people's lives are and how good you have it. When you're in a bad mood and you say, oh, I'm just, you know, look at that picture and it'll take away uh, the thoughts about your own temporary misery, uh, just feel free to email me. Okay, uh, 111, again, as with the previous verse, this continues the thought in which Paul explains why he and Timothy were giving thanks to God and praying for those at Colossae. He says that they may be strengthened with all might, or as yours says, uh, might with all strength or right. something. Yeah, it's just the opposite. With all power. Yeah, yeah, with all power. Uh, Paul uses the same word, first in the noun form, then in the verb form. Thus, it essentially is a Hebraism where the repetition of a word is given for stress. In Greek, uh, in the Greek, it says, duname dunamomenoi, being empowered with all power. This is not intended as meaning an outward display of apostolic gifts. Rather, his prayer for this is so that they will be able to meet and overcome any temptations, perform their duties as Christians by the power of Christ's strength, and be able to endure any trials which they were destined to face. His prayer is that they will be so strengthened according to his glorious power, that is his words, according to his glorious power, the Greek here reads, according to the power of his glory. As God's power is one of his perfections, he being all-powerful, Paul is praying that those in Colossae, and thus us, will be likewise strengthened by that all-powerful hand so that they will be able to meet and overcome every obstacle and press forward in all ways which are good and true. He expresses two of those ways with the words, for all patience and long suffering. Yours says the opposite, something in patience. Uh, that you may great endurance and patience. And, yeah, and instead joyfully. of endurance and patience, this one says patience and long suffering. So it's, for some reason, they've transposed both sets of words there. But um, hello, Miss Garrett. How are you today? It's good to see you. Um, so, I, But I did get a second shock in a row. My wife showed up before things started this weekend, last week. It's unbelievable. I'm so happy. She's such a good wife. Anyway, I love to pick on her. It's just fun. Um, yeah, I know. Poor Hedico. Anyway, um, yes, the idea of patience. Uh, we'll stop right there and go back and read that again. That the all-powerful hand so that they will be able to meet and overcome every obstacle. Once again, this isn't an apostolic demonstration of power. This is the reliance on the power that God has. And that's the kind of thing that we need to be able to say, I want that. When we're having our difficult times, uh, when we're struggling, uh, you know, uh, now, well, I won't give that as an example because it wouldn't have been, uh, but, you know, if you, you're grounded in Christ and you're in a bad situation, you're in the hospital or whatever, and that's where you need to just 
pray for the Lord to give you his power, to give you his endurance, and as it says, being empowered with all power, okay? Uh, once again, and it's not just, you know, physical things. As I said earlier, overcome any temptations, okay? Perform their duties as Christians by the power of Christ's strength. These are the things that the uh, that Paul would ask us to apply to our lives. And so this is, you know, this is an encouragement and he's gonna make a point about this in just a couple of verses, where that power comes from and how we can rely on it, all right? So he's getting ready to give us some information that is as deep and as profound as anything in all of scripture coming up in just a few verses. So the idea of patience is putting up with those that one could, not, that one could otherwise dismiss. And that's one of the things that I need because I'm not a very patient person, okay? I, uh, one of my friends one time told me that I should, uh, he said, oh, you'd be a great, uh, what do you call it, a professor at a seminary. He said, I could just, I said, there's no way. I don't have that type of patience because one, I don't like to repeat myself. I like to do something and then go on, okay? We're in Genesis and we're gonna go to Exodus and I'm not gonna go back and do Genesis again and then we're gonna go on to Leviticus. I, I want to know new things. I want to do new things and I would be no good at all sitting as a professor in every three months telling the same thing to a new group of people. And then more, I have very little patience with people that don't understand what I'm saying. That's one of my faults, I understand that, but uh, when I'm talking, I understand what I'm saying. And when somebody doesn't, and I have to re-explain to them, I'm like, why can't you get this? And so it's just me. I'm not saying that is the way people should accept it. People don't accept it, and they probably shouldn't because I'm just not very patient. And at the same, <laughs> yeah, yeah, everybody here knows that. And then there's a third one that Sergio is perfectly aware of because he will show me something that is so basic and so common, like with an iPad, and I can't do it. And I get very frustrated very easily with things that I don't understand. So I have no patience for people that don't understand me, but I have no patience for myself when I don't understand when other people are trying to help me. So I'm just not a good patient person. And I understand that. And when people, you know, send me an email and I explain to them, this is what I believe, okay? If you disagree, that's fine. If you don't understand, I'll try to clarify. But after the third email, I'm usually very short and I get down to like a half a sentence. Here, if you don't get this, I can't go on, okay? It's, it's one of my failings. And have you ever seen that? You're laughing, so she has, okay. Uh, it's just me, and people have to get used to that, and I'm sorry that it probably bothers them, but I have a very low threshold for going outside of my box, okay? My box is to go to bed by eight o'clock. If I have to stay up until 8.15, I really, I don't handle it well, okay? I'm the most regimented person I know on the planet, and it's one of my failings, but that's who I am. So anyway, um, the idea of patience is putting up with those that one could otherwise dismiss. The idea of endurance is putting up with that which one cannot dismiss. He is asking for strength for both categories. Mom's back there probably, are you agreeing with that? She's over yes, there talking with Tom Alley, so I imagine she's saying he, he understated the facts. That's what she's saying. He understated everything he just said. Now, Tom knows this better than anybody because I've spent every Saturday with him for the last 16 years. If anybody knows this, it's Tom Alley. That's right. I will say this, though. I'll stop right there, and I'll say that the most patient person I know on this planet is Tom Alley. And yet, I saw him 
loses patience three times in 16 years. And all three times, guess what it was about? <laughs> Same problem I have, children. Absolutely. He was, he was at the end of his rope only three times in 16 years. But, boy, those kids can really push your buttons. And, you know, when Tom's yeah. buttons get pushed, you know that's, that's a button pusher. So there you go. But anyway, I've never known anybody on this planet more patient than Tom Alley. He can endure through things that most people would not be able to endure through. So uh, hats off to him or bandanas in this case. Okay, um, so he's asking, Paul is asking for strength in both categories. For those that could be walked away from, his prayers that we would stick it out and endure their failings or irksome ways. Once again, very hard for me to do. I don't handle irksome well, okay? But that's what Paul would ask us to do, and that is what the Word tells us to do. Uh, for that which cannot be walked away from, like it or not, his prayer is that we would be able to continue and not be overcome by the pressure of the situation. Okay, um, it doesn't matter what the situation is, but you know, from the uh, just the vantage point of sitting in the pulpit when there are things going on in the church that are annoying, that's really hard to do, especially when I've spent you know uh, a whole Monday typing up a sermon and then the next eight weeks slowly preparing it and getting it ready for uh, presentation on Sunday, and there's something that's very annoying going on it's hard for me to deal with mentally, okay? I, I've never actually blown up at anybody, but it's it's been on my mind, you know? it's oh. yeah. Remember when that guy came in? Well, that was different. That, you blew yeah, up on I that did, one. but- Rightfully that, so, there yeah, was no- That uh, was a completely different situation, but yes. There, but I will say this, there was somebody that was in this church that was, he, he came in, he was a drunk, he was sitting here and he was being as, and I thought, I'm, I'm gonna just put up with it for a while. And he started getting annoying and I went off on this guy. And when I did, mom was already upset him. She's got a shorter fuse than I do. And if anybody doesn't know that. Cross your path. And yeah, see. cross your, she, she <laughs> took that guy and she chased him out of the building and she chased him down the way. And I tell people, I bet you that guy is still running. And that was like <laughs> 10 years ago. I, I guarantee you, she was like, she she was not happy with that guy. But that was a different situation. I'm talking about the irksome things that happen that are just beyond your control that just come up, uh, you know. And some pastors can get over that. I, I, I just can't, you know. I It's very hard to concentrate. When we were at Grace Baptist Church, did you ever, you were on the stage because you played instruments. When you're sitting up at Grace Baptist, and it's a church of, it'll hold a thousand people, and there's usually four or five hundred there at the time, and you don't see any of them. You've got lights in your eyes and you're up there doing your thing and you don't see anything. And when I preached at Grace, it was like I was just talking to the wall. I was there all by myself. You don't see anything. But when you're in this church here, you see every single thing that every person is doing. If somebody's talking to their husband or wife, you see it. If somebody is, well, I won't say the, the body things that people do that they shouldn't do, but you know, they're, you see every single thing and it mentally affects you while you're trying to make a presentation so you have to really quickly divert your eyes and you know it's not that way in a big church a big church preaching with lights in your eyes is the easiest thing in the world you're there all alone it, it, did you feel that way playing the music kind of yeah i that i just I, it was like just me talking into a microphone and you know whatever but um sergio was up there with me on many an occasion 
What, at the uh, Grace Baptist? Yeah, oh, yeah, that's piano. right. I remember that. That's right. Well, he's Rather looking at the piano, so you're not, you're just interacting with an instrument, but you, you weren't facing the audience, were you? You were sideways. You were looking oh, okay. across the stage. So All right. Okay. They were in your peripheral. Yeah. So. All right. So uh, let's see here. Oh, we've got that. Okay. Uh, his prayer, once again, would be that we would be able to continue and not be overcome by the pressure of the situation. But Paul goes even further when he adds in the final words of the thought as a point of true grace from God. He says, with joy. His hope is not just that there will be patience and long suffering, but that there will actually be joy in the process. And understanding that being in Christ is the state of the believer, then whatever we experience is what God intends for us, even if it seems terrifying, overwhelming, and so on. And that's one of the things I do think about, even though it doesn't take away the pressure of whatever situation you're in. You know, when I hit my hand with the uh, chainsaw a while ago, and I grabbed my hand and I said, well, I guess this is what the Lord has for me right now. I mean, it was that quick. And I had no idea if I'd cut off the finger or anything. I was just holding the whole thing together and there was just blood all over. And I thought, well, this is where the Lord has me. And if I have to learn to type without one finger, that's what it's going to be. And it turned out to not be terrible. I mean, it healed up really well, other than just a lot of meat there that's like, I don't know, it's just weird. But uh, it's probably because something got overlapped when they sewed it. I don't know. Well, you come feel it. I mean, it's just weird. Anyway, uh, she's laughing about that. Well, have you ever had a big scar? Oh, you I'm do? Actually on the ring finger. So you got the same thing? It's bigger than the other one oh. after the incident. Yes. Oh, okay. So, compare horse okay, we'll, we'll compare when we're done. I like that. Um, okay, so, um, but yeah, you know, if you look at the fact that everything you're doing in life, and it's hard, like I can tell Sergio right now, Rhoda looks okay, but Sergio is completely out of it. He stayed up until like four o'clock this morning. He said he slept like two hours and he's been working all day long and he just looks yeah, miserable. Yeah, he came here. Yeah. And he Kudos came here. To that. But, well, then uh, obviously the Bible is a priority in his life. Go. So there you go with that. But, uh, you know, it, the point I was going to make is that he is here and he may be miserable in it, but he can still say, this is what the Lord wants me to do. Okay. It's, you know, I brought this guy up, I think, in a, a before church. Well, I don't think I've ever said it in a Bible study. If I have, it's worth repeating this. Is that I was at Grace Baptist one time. This was before I was ordained, and maybe I did say it in this class. Anyway, uh, they had a temporary preacher in there, and the preacher was up on the stage, and I was just, I was livid at him. He said, um, if you, uh, do you know what I'm going to say? He said, he said, you know, I don't understand why preachers tell you that you should read your Bible all the time. He said, you know, if you don't feel like reading your Bible, why would you do that? And if it wasn't for respect for the people I was sitting with, I would have just gotten up and said, you're out of line and walked right out of the church. I was that upset at him. My thought is that when you do something when you don't feel like it, that's when you're showing obedience. It's easy to go to church when everything is fine and you got up an hour early and you know, you're know you feeling good and you've had breakfast and all that. That, that. That's no problem. But when you're at church, when you are miserable, when you're tired, when you could be at home sleeping, that's showing obedience. And when you're reading the word all by yourself at home and nobody else is seeing it, and it's just you and God, and you're in a terrible mood, and you're saying, you know what, Lord, I am going to do this despite my mood. When you, when you do that, that's when the Lord is the most pleased with you. I guarantee it. When you're just sitting there and you're reading the, the Bible and your family's walking by and your friends are there and they say, oh, Charlie's reading his Bible. Where's 
you know, it, it's when just, your house is flooded. Yeah, when your house is flooded and you've got your Bible above your head as you're wading through the water, that's where the Lord is happy with you. You weren't here when we read that, but I, I, I read something about people in Pakistan this past week that lost everything. They lost everything, and the one thing that they held on to, their house was being washed away, and they were holding their Bible above the water. Everything is gone in their life except the Word of God. When that is your priority, she was laughing because she didn't understand the context. It's just unbelievable how how trivially, trivial our lives are here in America. Do you remember what that pastor went on to say? I don't. Yeah, he said, I'll tell you what it says. The Bible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you what it says. Yeah, the guy, you're talking about the one at Grace. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you. You don't, you don't need to know the word. I'll tell you what it says. Okay, in these words, we have the mode of the of meeting the challenge. This is Paul's words back in Colossians. We have the mode of meeting the challenge with all might. We have the measure according to his glorious power. We have the anticipated result, all patience and long suffering. And we have the state in which this process should take place, which is all joy. We have everything we need right in this verse to help us to get through almost every possible situation in our life. Everything. Life application. Life sends us many difficult things that we need to deal with. Some we could just walk away from, but that may not be the proper path to take. Some we must endure despite it being a real headache for us. It is important for us to consider our position in Christ as we face these things. In so doing, we will be more likely to respond to them in an appropriate way. Let us pray for strength in order to meet them and deal with them according to God's glorious power. Okay, now, if your faith is weak, if your faith is, you know, just, you're just, you're struggling, you need to just keep your eyes on Jesus. That is what the Bible implores us to do, and I was thinking about it today, and I don't know about you, but my faith in Christ stands firm. It's like paying the tab at a restaurant. Anybody? I will, as Job says, wait until my change comes. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Okay. So no tipping. No tipping. No. I, I just heard that verse when I was driving today. I was going through the book of Job, and it says, I'll wait till my change comes, and I thought... I never do that at the restaurant. They say, do you need your change? And I feel like saying, well, no, I don't need it. And you can have it, you know? So no, I'm not gonna wait it for my change to come in a restaurant. But I thought that was a cute joke, so there you go. Okay. Of course you can. Yes, okay, 112. Verse 12? Uh, oh, sorry. Did <laughs> you have it? Yeah. You can have it if you want. Come on, go. Okay, 11 ends with, and joyfully. And yeah, just read 11 begins. again, and that way you can put them together. Being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Okay, now this one is a bit different. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us... Yep. to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Yep. Read my footnotes. Read Some your footnotes. say us. us. That's right. Some say, and I just typed one this morning in Acts, same thing. You know, there's 
uh, just a one word difference like that. It says in, uh, let me take you there really quickly. Uh, this will help me remember what I typed this morning anyway. While you're uh, looking though, yes. the one that came out today, Yes. I mean there was like, it was a huge chunk. Oh yes, like, yes. You know, so. there, that's the one where they believe it is possible that they took what was said in Acts 22 and just brought it there for clarity. Some scribe did that. I don't know if I agree with that. Um, it may be that somebody took it out from the other manuscript because they said he's already said that, you know, in another place. I don't know, but big disparity. Yeah, You're absolutely right. right. But um, the, the, the thought was still there. Oh, yeah. It, either way, you haven't lost anything. No. But um, let's see here. I What did I type today? Um, yeah, immediately, this is Acts 9.20 is what I typed this morning. Immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Okay, well, yours says immediately he preached Jesus in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. And so you have to determine which is correct. Which, and you know, we may never know until we see the Lord and he gives us the perfect and pure word that we're currently lacking. But this one says Christ, others say Jesus. Why? And then I analyze the difference. Okay, but once again, no theology is lost in it oh. one way or another. And, and okay. isn't Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Christ. Jesus? That's right. It's just how are you going to approach that? Are you saying that the Messiah is Jesus or are you going to say Jesus is the Messiah? That's yes. the basic difference between uh, how it is being approached. Right. So right. there you go. Okay, uh, 112. This verse continues on the same train of thought that has been going on since verse 9. We've been going on and on with this one train of thought. He says, giving thanks to the Father explain another way in which the saints may walk worthy of the Lord, as Paul previously noted, okay? The reason for this is that he has qualified us to be partakers of the saints in the light. That's Paul's words. Paul's choice of the word father here is referring to his relationship to the son, through whom has come the execution of his plan of redemption. He determined the plan, and it was set in motion through the giving of his son. In turn, do you remember what you said yesterday about um, you were reading the Bible and the Prince of Life? Do you remember what you said exactly? Mm -hmm. Okay, if you got that, read that because that kind of goes along with what we have right here. You sent me something and about five minutes later, another guy sent me something as well on what he was reading today. Both were very insightful, but I don't have them. I knew you'd have yours right here. Jesus. Read it louder because people can't hear you. The guy that designed this designed it only for us. <laughs> the body of Jesus, physical body of Jesus, had to be put to death so that our soul, spiritual, may have, is that it? Yeah, that's it. Uh, may have life everlasting. And that's from Acts 3.15. But you put to death the prince of life. And then they said uh, this is why faith is required for salvation because physical work can never save a spiritual soul. And only by faith, spiritual, in the death and resurrection of Jesus can we be saved. So. Yeah. Very insightful. Okay. The point is that we are temporal and our works can, and you know, we all know this, but when you read something and you kind of make a mental connection, you can say, I understand this more clearly now. And so what Sergio was uh, reading, and he sent it to me right away first thing in the morning, is it, it, it's just another confirmation that works can never save us. Mm -hmm. And you know, this goes into conversations I've had with several people this week about works, you know, after salvation. And once again, they have nothing to do with salvation. They cannot. It doesn't matter if it's for salvation or after salvation because after salvation, if your salvation is dependent on them after salvation, then it's the same thing. It was never of grace through faith. 
ever. Anytime along the, the path, from the moment you're saved until the moment you die, if your salvation is contingent on something you must do or not do, then what he said shows that that is incorrect. There, it must be a spiritual element that takes us to the relationship with God in Christ. It cannot be something that we do physically. It cannot be. Yeah, and also, I would say it also just removes that thing. People say, well, Jesus died, so his works is enough to save everybody. Right. But then... Absolutely not. Again, not, because he died, that's again, physical body dying, but it's our faith in that. Our right. faith in it's that. It's still spiritual. That's right. And so everybody that, yes. actually yeah. who believe. That's right. Yeah. It, that, it, what it does is it eliminates the concept of right. universalism. Right. That Christ died for everybody and so everybody is saved. Okay. It completely it, it, it eliminates cannot, that. Because it's, again, going to be work okay. for someone else. It's also impossible. It still has to be faith. It has to be faith okay. from and beginning to end. To try and do anything looking like works that a human could do to match or at least come to the level of what he went through or supplement it uh, it's like you know there, there was this guy from Nigeria that, that posted something I had to copy it and, and put it onto a word document so I could have it to hold and you know if, if a American or somebody in our culture goes to talk about what happened to Christ on the cross you know they'll give you a lot of medical terms and like you know it's like you know suffocation and like stuff like that this guy went into like okay here's how it felt here's what happened right here's what the insects were doing when he was it was just like you know you're going through it you go my gosh yeah for me he's like stop he's taking the things that we don't even think about Uh, there was a guy that uh, medical I think I think he was medical in the military uh, and he he described the most difficult thing that a soldier has to go through uh, Mm -hmm. is thirst thirst and he said here Jesus one complaint on the cross and it wasn't a complaint it was a statement of fact I thirst and I can tell you in Israel at that time of year because we were there walking from Jericho to Jerusalem it is dry it is just the sun is coming down on you it's direct and if you don't have water you thirst and imagine that you're already as you said insects biting you and all these things going on crawling down your throat nothing biting you it's like good lord and you're thirsty Right. And that's the thing that you say, I th- it, and, unbelievable. And, okay, so what was Jesus sitting on? Yeah, what was he sitting on? What was he on the cross? Do you know? No. It was a horn. I don't know Think what you're about saying. That. It's a horn. It's going gonna, it's gonna to stab you every time you go to sit down. I have no idea get, what you're talking okay, about. He's on the cross. Right. He's trying to hold up his legs. Okay. He's, if he lets completely go, he is, he'll suffocate from pulling up of his arms. Okay. But he's got something to rest his backside on. And it's that a horn. I don't know. It's a horn. Yeah, I, that I've never heard. You're, no. I'm not even going to entertain that until. Okay. Yeah, you're going to have to show. You're going to have to show me some Roman crucifixion. Okay. Well, that's, that's speculation they because they have fifty thousand different ways of no, crucifying people. But they just goes so. to show you how cruel man is to well, man. That is true. But I that one I'm not going to entertain because okay. it's not in scripture. Oh, so yeah. Okay. I anyway, no. I just just I, you know we can't we can't add to the word and come out unscathed. And so if he put that in the commentary. That's fine, but that is not in the Bible. So, okay, anyway, we'll go on. Paul's choice of the word father here, oh, I said that, I'll read it again, uh, is referring to his relationship to the son through whom, he is, through whom has come the execution of his plan of redemption. He determined the plan, and it was set in motion through the giving of his son. 
In turn, for those who have received Christ Jesus, we have been qualified to be partakers of the inheritance. The kingdom which lies yet ahead belongs to the Son. It is his inheritance, just as any son inherits from a father. In this case, Christ is the inheritor of all things. This is seen, for example, in Hebrews 1. Is that what Was that a part of his commentary that he said that? That was part of the Okay, yeah, see, he put that in there, and that, that is not in Scripture, and, you know, that may be, and if he said, well, this is possible, I could go with that. But if somebody says that, and they say it without support, because all we know is that he was crucified in his hands and his right. feet. Well, That's he was all so we accurate know. with regards to the flailing yeah. and everything else. I, I didn't question the fact yeah. that... No, that yeah, we, that, that's one thing I just don't want to, without, without the, uh, uh, you know, it's saying it in the word, all it. we can do is speculate. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, uh, that could it be? Could it be? It that's is. right. I do that during sermons. Yeah. I, this is Charlie speculating or something, but I don't, I, Still, I never want to say something. all the time. Even, be. even with or without okay. that, okay. I'm sorry. We, we, I could never do that. Okay, this is seen, for example, in Hebrews 1, 4. Uh, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. God, who at times, various times, and in various ways, spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had purged himself, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. From this, those who call on Christ likewise become partakers of the inheritance of the saints. Christ is the one that inherits all things. We become partakers of the inheritance of the saints. That's Paul's words. What this is saying is that the promises to the Old Testament saints continues on in this new dispensation. That which was promised to the saints of old now applies to the saints of the church. The new covenant issued from the old covenant when Christ fulfilled the old in his death. That is why it says we are brought into the what of Israel? State, it's a term we use for the state of Massachusetts and two or three. Commonwealth, the commonwealth of Israel. Now, that does not mean that we get the land inheritance. There are different things that are promised throughout the Old Testament, okay? One of them is the promises to Israel. That is the commonwealth of Israel. I'm not talking about the land promises. I'm talking about the uh, promises that are fulfilled in Christ, okay? And that's why it says in Jeremiah 31, 31, Behold, I make a new covenant with the house of Judah and the house of Israel. And then we are brought into the new covenant. Okay, How do we know that we are brought into the new covenant? Because this goes right to the heart of hyper-dispensationalism. They try to separate uh, things into two separate gospels. You know, the Jews get one gospel, we get another. The book of Revelation has nothing to do with the church. It's totally written to the Jews of the end times, etc. And they have, you know, they've taken the Bible and they've cut it up so exactingly that they don't even really teach parts of the book of Romans because it's addressed to the Jews when actually it's addressed solely to the uh, believers in Rome who happen to be Jews and Gentiles. But they've taken the Bible and they've cut it up so much that they focus on a couple of Paul's epistles in their entirety, most of the epistles of Paul, and then they cut everything else out and they say, this doesn't apply to you, and they, they it's very cheap, sappy theology. But um, 
Christ established the new covenant in his blood. That is said in Matthew, Mark, Luke, right? Okay, he uh, says that at the night of his crucifixion. And he says, this is my blood of the new covenant, new covenant right? And this is, you know, okay. So, and how do we know that we are included in that? Can anybody tell me how we know that we, I'm talking about Gentiles, are included in the new covenant? Okay, it's very, very simple. Sergio, how do you know that you're included in the new covenant, that it pertains to both Jew and Gentile, and thus it is one gospel? How do you know this? Uh, I'm asking Acts you. 11. Not Acts 11. Said, it's chapter 11 of something. Oh. Hebrews? No. Romans? No. I'm going to keep guessing. Uh, all, you need to do, all you need to do is think what your, your new task is in the church. Communion. Communion 11. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, right? What does it say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11? Okay, he, that's exactly right. He says, for I receive, and who is he writing to in 1 Corinthians? He's writing to the church. He's writing to a Gentile church, okay? I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I'm writing to you, okay? And what does he say? For I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed did these things, blah, 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 blah. And then he gets down here and he says, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant, new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul mentions a new covenant elsewhere pertaining to the Gentiles. Hyperdispensationalism, if you get caught up in that, you will have some of the poorest theology in the world and you will be actually teaching heresy. That means that when you are teaching the next person, you may be saved yourself, but when you're teaching the next person your poor doctrine, they will not come to a saving knowledge of Christ because you are teaching heretical doctrine which will keep them from a proper understanding of what God has done for the people of the world. Okay. But you know, if you don't want to read your Bible, you really shouldn't have Oh, absolutely. If you don't want to study the Bible, you probably shouldn't do that. Right. Anyway, uh, yeah, absolutely. But the, the, it is it is that important yeah. to understand what God is doing and how he is doing it uh, in redemptive history and who it applies to. So I'm going to read this again so that you can see this. From this, those who call on Christ likewise become partakers of the inheritance of the saints. That's Paul's words, Okay. Now I'm going to go down, I'm going to skip a little part of it. It says, that which was promised to the saints of old now applies to the saints of the church. The new covenant issued from the old covenant when Christ fulfilled the old in his death. He said that right there on the night of his crucifixion, Paul repeats it that we are in the new covenant in his epistles that are written to the Gentiles. He is the apostle to the Gentiles. Okay, right there, that ought to tell you that what God has done is inclusive of the Jews, okay? Just because the nation of Israel rejected Jesus Christ and they are under the punishments of the Deuteronomy 28 because they have not entered the new covenant, it does not mean that those things do not pertain to them any longer. It means that when they call on Jesus Christ, and as I said, I said this at the beginning of Joshua because I'd already typed up through Joshua 3 and 4 and 5, and now I'm up to Joshua 7 this week. I typed that, okay? But I can tell you that in the next five weeks, if this doesn't become clear to you, and you're a hyper-dispensationalist and you watch these sermons, you were probably the dull person that gets me upset the most, okay, that I was talking about earlier. It is that clear. When, you, when we get to these sermons from Joshua 3, 4, 5, and 6, 
you will be able to see this completely. Now, I'm not saying you're going to understand everything I say, but you will grasp it enough to see that what you incorrectly believe, I'm talking to the hyperdispensationalists, is as clear as crystal in the book of Joshua, given in typology of what God is going to do for the nation of Israel. It is that clear. Okay, so um, uh, it may not be clear because of my presentation, though. I want you to understand that. I'm not trying to say that what I'm going to present you is a, uh, you know, a clear and precise uh, rendering of what God is telling us because I understand my, I get very wordy. I use words that may not, uh, I have somebody now that checks my stuff every week and sometimes I get these big questions. What are you talking about? I'm not sure what you're saying here. And so I'm very appreciative of your, your, uh, comments because I want to keep this simple, but at the same time, I want to be precise. And it's hard to do that. It's hard to be precise and yet keep something simple. But stay tuned for the next four or five weeks of Joshua, and you will see exactly what I'm talking about right here concerning Paul's words, concerning us being brought into the new covenant. But the new covenant pertains not to the Gentiles, but to the house of Judah and the house of Israel. And that will never ever change. The church has not replaced Israel, and Israel does not have a different gospel than the gospel that we received as Gentiles, okay? Please get that right. If you don't get anything else right, I would hope that you would get that right. Once again, talking to hyper-dispensationalists. Yes? The inheritance, uh, I mean, most of it is future. Oh, yeah. So, land? I mean, does it matter? It doesn't matter, but it does for Israel because they were given those promises in the Old Testament that Christ would reign among them, that he would sit in authority over Jerusalem among his people. Mm -hmm. And so that is important for them. It's not important for us because we're going to be out of here and we're going to be glorified. And any Jew that is saved right now and is taken out of here, it's not important to them. But to the nation of Israel, it is vital that that happens because the Old Testament says it's going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, then the Bible is not the word of God, and we might as well just go out and eat and drink for tomorrow we're going to die, and there'll be no hope for us, okay? It is that important for them as a nation. So we, we need to make sure that we have that correct. But for us, no. I don't care personally at all. I mean, I like going to Israel. I enjoy the, uh, uh, the times I've been there. But... It's not that important of an issue to me. But from a biblical perspective, it is a very, very important issue that Christ will reign among his people, the nation and the people of Israel, because it says he will, okay? We don't spiritualize that and say, oh, that's something that pertains to the church, and we start turning the land of Israel into, you know, some type of who knows what. Mm -hmm. But no, we don't want to do that. Okay, but for us, you're right, no bearing at all. Okay, so uh, the new covenant issued from the old covenant when Christ fulfilled the old in his death. In the establishment of the new covenant, the promises which were given to those under the old are realized in the new. This does not mean that the church replaces Israel. See, I'm glad that we're doing this because here it is. But that which is offered pertains to those who are established through the work of Christ. To understand this, we can look at the words to Daniel concerning the inheritance of the saints as was promised to them. Okay, there is something very specific said right at the end of the book of Daniel. Okay, I asked this a couple weeks ago, and uh, uh, I don't think I got the answer I was looking for. How many chapters are there in the book of Daniel? How many? Oh, you got it right away, 12. That was one of my questions, wasn't it? I asked it, and everybody sees stuff, and nobody got it. Okay. Uh, 13, 11. Yeah, we had 11, we had 9, we had 8, we had 
everybody, and then finally, 11 and a half, and then finally got to 12. So, but that was, I always have a, a closing question for the uh, sermon. He doesn't know this because he doesn't attend here on Sundays, but that's okay. We'll forgive you. But, yes, that's exactly what I'm going to read. He even knows the verse I'm about to read. But I'm going to start with one, and I'm just going to, 12-3 is what I want to read you. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who watches over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation. Even to that time, and at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Now, this takes care of something that somebody that does another prophecy update. I love the guy, but he's wrong in his theology about the rapture and the timing of the rapture and who Matthew 24 is addressed to. Okay, he can be wrong. That's fine. He'll find out he's wrong and he'll be corrected someday. But um, what uh, Daniel said, uh, what Michael said to, or I'm sorry, what um, the one Jesus, I guess, is the one who is speaking to uh, Daniel right now. I, I believe it's a theophany of Jesus. Anyway, because it goes back to chapter 10. I'm not going to go back there. But uh, the one that is speaking to Daniel right now says that Michael shall stand up and he speaks of a time such as was never there was a nation. Okay? Where else is that recorded in the New Testament? Who speaks that? Begins with J and ends with S. Anybody? Jesus. Jesus. And it's in oh. Matthew. It did work. <laughs> it, it, was, it was in Matthew. 24. Okay, there you go. He's, it says that there, there's going to be a time so great that if uh, it didn't end, you know, if it wasn't cut short, nobody would survive, right? So this is the same time frame that it's speaking of, okay? Now, my friend says that, oh, this all pertains to the church as well as Israel, okay? But what does it say here? Such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to Israel. He's speaking to the Jewish people. There was no thought of the Gentiles in Daniel. Please understand that. There's no thought of them at all in the book of Daniel. He is speaking to Daniel about events that will happen to Israel. That's it, okay? And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine, or sh yes, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Okay, so you were right. That's exactly the verse that I was going to read. Okay, an inheritance was promised then. Also in other places in the Old Testament, but I've just picked that one out, Daniel 12, 3. An inheritance was promised and the same inheritance is promised now. Those who are contained within the active covenant are those who are partakers from old to new covenant. Completing the thought, he says, Paul, this covenant of the saints is in the light. The idea of light here is the kingdom over which God presides. There is no darkness as there is in the current world. This is the kingdom which God offers through Christ who is the true light. The concepts of light and kingdom permeate the Bible, but John deals with them in great measure in his gospel and epistles. What lies ahead will be marvelous. The powers of darkness will be utterly removed and only holiness and happiness and the glory of God will remain. Life application. Our hope is in a world which is so wonderfully greater 
than anything we can actually imagine. The world around us is hemmed in with evil and the powers of darkness are everywhere. Now, I said this, I probably typed this, we'll say six to eight years ago. And things were really bad at the time. We were going through the prophecy update each week and I kept saying, I would not have said what I'm saying a year or two ago. And if this was something that my mother said would happen when I was a little boy, I would have said my mother's crazy. Okay, I would have. I would have been like, what is she talking about? Eight years ago was nothing compared to what's going on in the world right now. And I'm not talking about the whole world. I'm talking about the, the state of morality. I'm talking about the state of human wickedness going on. If we went back to my prophecy updates from eight years ago and looked at the things I said, I can't even say this because I'm so embarrassed that this is being done by human beings. And now I'm saying it, it's a common thing. We're reading it in the daily paper, okay? So what is your perspective? How bad can it get? You know, we wonder how bad can it get? Our hope is in a world which is so wonderfully greater <clears throat> than anything we can actually imagine. The world around us is hemmed in with evil and the powers of darkness are everywhere. But for those who are in Christ, a glory lies ahead which will literally radiate out in majestic splendor for all eternity. Hold fast to your faith and be of good cheer even when the world seems to overwhelm you. Great things lie ahead. This is where our hope needs to be because in this world, there is not the hope that we would, and I'm talking about this world. I mean, we can live in this world and have a greater hope, but there is not a hope in this world that exists. It's just going downhill quickly. And as we saw, we've got these people that were just living their lives over in Pakistan. They're just doing their thing. And the next day along comes a storm and washes away their home, right? That could happen to us. What is it? It's July. It's July. I mean, in two weeks, everything that we know could be gone. If a hurricane started out in the Gulf and got into a Category 5 in the next 10 days, we could literally have everything wiped away. Where's your hope? What is it that you're thinking? Yeah. Hold on to your Bible. Exactly right. I can't think of anything that I would say, oh, you know what? I just lost everything, and I'm really going to miss that, except my Bible. I mean, as long, you know, obviously, if somebody in the family died, that's you can't replace family. I'm talking about the things in your life. What is it that you are going to hold on to in this world? We have no idea what's coming. Right now, you know, a couple weeks ago, there were all these uh, uh, earthquakes. And where was it? South Carolina? North Carolina? One of them was having earthquakes. And you never hear about that yeah. there. And they had tremors going on for Georgia? Okay. It's just unbelievable, you know? And if it got really bad, you know, a really bad one, you know, what, what happens in San Francisco when they have an earthquake? Anybody know what it's called? The ground turns into sand. It's like it's liquefaction. Like a, you know. Everything, it's not, you know, solid, uh, uh, it's not a solid base under San Francisco. All it is is it's a type of sand, like in Florida. And so what happens is the ground is moving, the sand actually turns into a liquid state. Okay, and that's why all those buildings just got sucked right in during the what was it, 1918 or something, the 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 bad earthquake that they had a long time ago. Everything just went right down into the ground. It's called liquefaction. If that if we got a big earthquake in Florida, sure. there would be nothing left. There would be nothing left. I mean, it would just be unbelievable. Things would just be sucked right into the ground. Now, fortunately, we're not on a fault line, so that's probably not going to happen. But if it did, you know. And when the world is shaking itself apart, as Jesus describes, it very well may be. You know, I was—I uh, can't remember. I typed a commentary or read a commentary that I typed 
within the past couple weeks, but, um, or maybe it's in an upcoming sermon, might be in an upcoming sermon. Anyway, I said that, you know, it says that uh, Isaiah says that man is going to be rarer than fine gold, right? Now, how many people are on the planet right now? Eight billion. It's going to be eight billion in, they, they estimate, this is their estimate, November. Okay, suppose seven billion people died and only a billion were left. That's still a lot of dead people. The tribulation is going to be horrifying. Okay, it's going to be horrifying. All right, have your hope in Jesus. That's my recommendation. Okay, verse 113. Galatians 3.29. Galatians 3.29, Burke wants us to go to. Okay, it, it has to be relevant. If it's not relevant, you're going to have to stand in the corner for the rest of the class. Galatians 3.29. And uh, yes, it's relevant. You get to keep sitting. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Exactly right. Heirs. Heirs. That's right. We are heirs in the inheritance. I can't. I love it. I just love it. Okay. Good job, Burke. We are in... um, Yeah, Hezekiah chapter 11. Make sure you memorize that because the test is on that next week. Okay, you know what? It wasn't a nice thing that somebody did, but I read uh, one time that a pastor said, I want everybody to next week read uh, before the sermon, I want everybody to read Mark 17. Okay, and the next week he asked, who read Mark 17 for the sermon? And a lot of people raised their hand. There is no Mark 17. Yeah, that was not a nice thing he did, but it's the kind of thing I'd do. Okay, so 113, go ahead. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Okay, very close. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. A little different. That's a noun instead of a verb, but it's close. Okay, in the previous verse. We were instructed by Paul that we have been qualified to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. As this is the case, we must not have possessed that right before. Logical. Paul now makes that explicit with the words, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. Being delivered means that we were in a state from which we need delivery. The word used is found in the Lord's Prayer, for example deliver us from evil. It is a word that indicates being rescued as if being snatched up. Therefore, we can see that in receiving Christ, we were drawn from that state to another one. It is clear. It is a clear indication that all are already on the path to destruction. Only through Christ does that change. It is another validation of Jesus' words, which are found in John 318, which state that we are condemned already. Jesus said it is recorded in the book of John 318. Okay, this is exactly what Paul is confirming in his own words. Read it again and think of John 318. If you don't believe in the Son, you are condemned already. And now we're in verse uh, 113. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Okay, if that is true, and it is, that means that we were once in darkness. darkness. We were in that kingdom of darkness and there was a power over us. That means, now think it through. He's speaking to people that have come to Christ. That means that if somebody, I don't care who it is on this planet, if somebody has not come to Christ, then they are in the kingdom of darkness. 
they are in that default position. All he's doing is he's confirming what Jesus has already said in John 3, 18. You know, people love to say, I'm a good person and I'm going to go to heaven because, or, you know, I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. You are condemned already. You are in darkness. You are in a state that cannot be accepted by God. That's why Christ came, was to deliver us from that. People need to make sure that they understand these things. I'm talking about people that aren't saved, that haven't, you know, called on Christ. They need to be presented with the truth. They need to be told that there is a reason why you cannot go to heaven. And it's not just because you're not a good person. It's not just because you're, you know, worse than this person or worse than that person. It doesn't matter. Adolf Hitler had the same chance as Mother Teresa. Okay, it doesn't matter where you are on the works or on the depravity scale. God does not grade on a bell curve. It is either Jesus Christ or it is condemnation. Those are the only two positions, okay? Paul is confirming that right here. The power of darkness is the dominion of Satan. This isn't just an external force which comes against us, but rather it is a legal rule over us. If you are not in Christ, you are by default in Satan. People don't want to admit that. Oh, I don't believe in Satan or he's not my master. He is your ruler. That's all that matters. You may not be bowing down to him, but it's just as well. You might as well do it, okay? Because that is where you are. People are always, you know, we read these books about he sold a soul to the devil. Sorry, that didn't happen. The devil already had his soul, okay? There's no such thing as selling your soul to the devil to become rich or a rock star or anything like that. He already possesses you. He's not worried about you in the slightest. He's worried about harming the saints, taking away their effectiveness, taking away their hope, taking away their testimony. That's what the devil is worried about. He doesn't care about the people that are his. They're already his. They belong to him until they come to Christ. All right? So, um, Charlie, yes. Talk for just a second on the deception of people who believe that they, they are the ones who are in control and you mean over their own situation, like yes. the guy at Apple, I control the world around me? You know what? My dad said something years ago on the same line. He, we were listening to the TV. It was on, and they were highlighting um, uh, Frank Sinatra, the big song he sang. <laughs> I did it I my did it my way, way right? <laughs> and he said, that is the, I remember this as if it was yesterday. He said, that is the biggest lie in the world. Nobody does it their way. Nobody is their own man. Everybody belongs to somebody. And I don't think he was thinking at all about Satan. He was just simply saying that that is unrealistic. And people that think that they have control over themselves are the most deluded of all. They don't know if they're going to die of a heart attack tomorrow. They have no idea. They have no idea of the next two seconds of their life. Okay? And if they were blessed enough to have all kinds of wonderful things in this life, it doesn't make them any better than the person that was born in the Philippines that's digging out of a garbage dump just to have breakfast. It doesn't make any difference. If they think that they have control over their life, they don't. They were, a, uh, they were blessed by time and circumstance as to where they are. Maybe a good family, maybe a good father, maybe a good teacher, somebody that led them along, but they have no control over their situation at all. Uh, Bezos, or however you say, say his name in Amazon, richest guy in the universe right now doesn't make any difference at all he has no control over his situation zero the devil owns him until he comes to christ 
And if the devil wants him to think that he's getting along just fine, that's great. He's not going to be making any waves and he's just going to be living out his life and wealth. And then someday he's going to die and he's going to go into the ground and everything that he has is going to go off to somebody else. There's can't take it with him. There's nothing you can do on that day, whether it's tomorrow or 50 years from now. There is no control at all. The only thing that we can do is submit ourselves to Jesus Christ, deliver ourselves to him into his mercy, and he will take care of us. Other than that, there is no hope. That I don't know if that answers your question or not, but that is exactly the situation that all people are in. All people. Remember what uh, Mr. Magnuson said, sitting in that chair? Oh, absolutely. Remember? It, yes, he said... Um, uh, the We're all free. Th you, that's, go ahead. We're all free to choose whom or what we'll be a slave to. That's right. <laughs> so that's the like, one thing. When we were living in Israel, we were dealing with taxation. Israel, America, and yep. I was sitting in the Israel attorneys, and they go, I just had a thought, why can't I just renounce my citizenship and then not pay taxes to anybody? But that's not possible. No. You have to become a citizen of another country before you renounce this one. So you're if always not, you're gonna be owned by somebody. You're always always gonna, gonna have be to owned. pay somebody. And that is a good example, because you, are, like, why can't you just... are owned by the devil. You are owned by the devil until you come to Christ. And there is no other way around it. And that's a very good example. You are stuck under Israel, whether you like it or not, until you become a U.S. citizen. Yeah, and then you can renounce. Until then, yeah. you're Absolutely. And then we crush you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's getting worse by the day, that's for sure. Okay, here it is. Satan has authority over this world, as is seen elsewhere in Scripture. Let me uh, make a note right here. And man must be brought out of this rule. This is what Christ came to do, okay? As I said, John explains this purpose very clearly in his first epistle. Let me read this. You know, Jesus, there's a lot of things that Jesus said he came to do, aren't there? I came to uh, set you free. I came to do this and I came to do that. And uh, it goes on and on what he said and what others say about him, what he came to do in scripture. But the defining thing, that Jesus came to do is said by John in 1 John 3, 8. Can anybody quote it off the top of their head? This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Yes, that's exactly it. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, if you think about all of the others, for this reason I have come, or that for this reason the Son of Man was made manifest, this is the preeminent one right here. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Because that precedes anything else in scripture. That's where it all started right there. The works of the devil infecting man and from there man believed it, he fell, and from that point on that becomes the preeminent reason in all of scripture. Yes, Christ came to do a lot of things for us and every one of them is valid in its own context. But the preeminent reason is just that. This is what Christ came to do. He explains his very purpose very clearly in his first epistle. For this reason, the Son of Man was made manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. It is this dominion or power of darkness which we are snatched out of. We are then conveyed, as Paul says, great words, into the kingdom of the Son of his love. The word conveyed is used in the manner of taking a people group from one country to another. Exactly the example you just gave, Sergio. Exactly. In the writing of Josephus, he uses the word when speaking of the deporting of the Israelites by the Assyrians. They were conveyed from one kingdom to another. 
This is what happens to the believer in Christ. He is conveyed from the power and kingdom of Satan to that of the Lord Jesus. You know what? One time I was witnessing to a family member on my my what what do you call it dad's wife mother-in-law whatever whatever her side of the family and this guy was down visiting and I was witnessing to him I was telling him about Jesus and I said I brought in the devil I said you know it's either that or you're under the devil and he said whoa whoa wait what are you talking about what do you mean and I said you're either in the devil or you're in Christ and he says no 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 you, no that's what the Bible says you know, but people don't want to admit that there is a force and a power and an authority that rules over them. Go ahead. Ephesians 6. Yeah, Ephesians 6. That's where it's at. Okay, Ephesians 6, 12. That's Ephesians 6. I probably got to that in this commentary, but maybe not. So, yeah, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. And against, uh, I'm sorry, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Okay? We are wrestling against them, but those people aren't. Those people are just living it out, not realizing it. It's our job to wrestle against them, to bring the light into the world for those people to see. And at this point, there are some people that are so depraved. I said this on Sunday. I said there are some people that are so depraved that simply saying the name of Jesus, it's almost like they're almost like demonic in the way that they come back about just hearing the name. And I'm talking about people right in the government, people standing in the halls of government that are that offended by simply hearing the name of Jesus, okay? And, and they're so depraved in that sense that nothing is going to change them unless they have a complete catastrophe in their life. I can't think of anything that would change them besides that because they're so beyond reason that if you tell them the things that the Bible says they won't they simply won't grasp it they're going to have to come to the end of themselves in a calamity whether it's national or personal or or whatever before they are even willing to think beyond the current state that they're in that's how depraved they are at this point 9-11 yeah the people, you know, they called on God absolutely 9-11 you know and I gave that example a couple years ago I'm glad you brought that up when I first was really pursuing the Lord, it was in the year 2001, okay? And by, I, uh, probably it was May, about the May time frame in 2001. And so I'm sitting in the back of my, my business down there on Gate, uh, Gulf Gate Drive, right next to the Thai restaurant. As a matter of fact, it's a part of the Thai restaurant. They've now expanded and took over what I had. But I sit in the back of that store all day, all summer long, and it's very slow, which was really great because, in the you know, somebody walks in and you're reading the Bible, it's like, would you just go away? I didn't want him to come in. But um, so it's slow. I'm sitting in the back of that store and I drilled a hole in the wall so I could look through it to see if somebody actually came in or if it was the sun, you know, you walk by and the thing goes bing bong. So I wouldn't have to get up. So I'm sitting there and I'm reading the Bible. I read it 10 hours a day, every single day. I'd finish it in a week and then I'd start again. And I just did this all that time. And by September, by September, 11th. I probably read the Bible. I don't know. You figure out from May to September how many times, okay? And so on September 11th, that happened. And I went to church that Sunday after that happened, the next Sunday, and it was full. It was full of people, okay? And I'm like, what's going on? I, you know, it didn't even dawn on me that people would suddenly want to seek God after a national calamity because here, I'm just doing my thing. And it was full for about three weeks. 
And very quickly, the numbers started going down, 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 down. And within a month and a half or two months at the most, we were at exactly the same level as before. After that, and it wasn't long after that, or, you know, it was about eight months later, but you know, it wasn't a full year or anything, I read a commentary from somebody that said that the churches after 9-11 exploded, all of them. It didn't matter what denomination, people just, wherever the local church was, they went to it. And they said that in New York City, they did a study and they said that the only churches that kept their numbers up after 9-11 were the ones that preached the Bible. The rest of them, they all went back down. And the church I was in at the time, it was a Methodist church, and they didn't preach the Bible. They just talked about sappy sermons. And, you know, I went there because my neighbors went there. And, you know, whatever. But there was no theology at all in there. And that church went right back to where it was without any growth at all. But the churches in America that preached the Bible never lost membership after that because people saw hope. They saw that there was something beyond this world. And they had gone from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And that's what needs to happen because I tell you, it's not gonna happen any other way. These people that are in the world now are so completely depraved that they are not going to be able to grasp what is said from the Bible. They could grasp it, but they will just simply reject it. Hands down, they're not even gonna bother. So, it is this dominion, yeah, I think I read this, I'll read it again. Uh, Dominion or power of darkness, which we are snatched out of. We are then conveyed into the kingdom of the son of his love. I read that. Okay, conveyed. He is conveyed from the power and kingdom of Satan to that of the Lord Jesus. And then you brought in Ephesians 6. Again, it shows that there can be no other path to God than Jesus Christ. If there were, then it would have been pointless for Christ to come. If there were another path, it would have been pointless for Christ to die on the cross. It would have been absolutely, and it would also be absolutely pointless for God to start making this incredible document 3,500 years ago from the pen of Moses that goes all the way back to the very beginning of man's time on earth, how man was created, how man fell, all of these generations of Adam, why are they listed? All of these nations of people spread out around the world, who are they? Why are they? None of this would make any difference at all. If one person can come to God apart from Jesus Christ, everything in this book is pointless. It has no value because Jesus Christ is the purpose of this book and he is the purpose of God redeeming man. Okay? You know, I've had to say this a couple times to people over the past week. You know, people email me and they'll say, well, I don't get this doctrine or I don't understand that doctrine or I don't understand this. And I tell them, and you know, and once I get something into my mind, I will repeat it to other people because it's on my mind at the time. But I'll say, unless you understand that what is going on here is not about you, your theology is always going to be wrong. Until you can get you out of this equation, God did this for you, but it's not about you, okay? This is about Jesus. It is about the glory of God and everything that he has done in this book and which is realized in reality in the stream of human existence, everything is about God's glory, him receiving glory unto himself. That is what this is about. If you think that your loss of salvation because you didn't work hard enough, then that is a problem that you need to get over because that diminishes the cross. He's the one that died. He's the one that shed his blood. And if you have a part in that, 
then you have got bad theology, okay? It is about God's glory. This is what it's about. We happen to be participants in it. We happen to be people that partake in what Jesus Christ has done, but it is not about us at all. And unfortunately, that's what churches in America have done over the past how many years, is they have made everything about themselves. They've made it about you. God wants to bless you. God wants this for you. God, blah, 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 about you, you, you. And it has nothing to do with you. Zero. Other than the fact that you get to participate in what God has done. He is willing to share his glory with us. But it is his glory that is being shared, not ours. Okay? So, um, again, it shows that there can be no other path to God than Jesus Christ. If there were, then it would have been pointless for Christ to come. But only he can bring us out of that realm of darkness and into this kingdom. It is a kingdom of the son of his love. This means that Christ Jesus is the object of his love. Now, yours doesn't say it. It makes it a verb. But this one, and I'm certain that this one is correct. It, Jesus Christ is the object of God's love. Okay, It is him that the kingdom was given to. All rights to authority belong to him. He is the ruler of God's kingdom for the redeemed of the world. It all comes back to the glory of God. And when we, what does he say? If you exalt the son, you exalt the father. I might have misquoted that or it might say, if you don't exalt the son, you haven't, you can't exalt the father. I, you know the verse I'm speaking of anyway. But the point is that you cannot, you cannot be in fellowship with God if you are not in fellowship with the son. You cannot be. It is impossible. So people that think that they're somehow okay because they're born of a certain culture or race or, you know, whatever, a certain line, and they say, I have fellowship with God. If you don't have fellowship with the Son, you have no fellowship with God. That's what the Bible says. Okay, life application. If we better finish up after this anyway, got six minutes. If you have been led to believe that there are many paths to God, then you are a foe of God in Christ. You are indicating that Jesus' death was not necessary in order for men to be redeemed. And that redemption can be realized in other ways, which is what we hear all the time. You know, another thing, I'll, I'll go ahead and qualify that as well. Uh, you often will see people posting prophecies. I saw one a couple of years ago. Uh, it, these people were posting this kid that was at his bar mitzvah, and he was prophesying about Gog Magog. And these are Christians that were passing this video on saw it on Facebook, like 800 Christians sent it to me. Have you seen this prophecy this kid gave? He's a Jewish kid, has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. He's talking about what's coming on the land of Israel, which by the way, didn't happen. But, and they're saying that this is a prophecy. I'm sorry, God is not going to give that boy a prophecy. He has no fellowship with the son and so he has no fellowship with the father. It's not going to happen. But people keep sending these kind of things on. They'll, they'll see something from some other religion or from something that happens, especially in Israel. It's a real big thing for people to do. And they'll say, look at this. This is prophetic. That is not prophetic at all. That is nonsense. If they are not in Christ, God is not dealing with them, okay? Other than to keep his promises to them as a people until they come to him, okay? That's the only thing that God is going to do with them. So we need to make sure that we understand this and we do not equivocate on this ever okay you are indicating that jesus death was not necessary in order for men to be redeemed and that redemption can be realized in other ways what you are espousing is a fickle god who purposefully sent his son to die for no satisfactory reason 
but it is you who are being unreasonable. Think the issue through clearly and then receive God's wonderful gift of salvation, which came at such a high cost, okay? And when I say you, I'm never in an email or, you know, in a Bible commentary, I'm never pointing out to anybody in particular. I'm just saying you in general, okay? Me. Uh, Sergio in particular, yes. But to other people, I'm only saying that I'm not being accusing of anybody. I'm just simply stating a truth. I've learned to say, if one does... Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so, probably so a better like way of doing it. Go, yeah. yeah. If one does, and I, you know, that's just, I, I don't do that. And I should probably start doing that because it may seem accusatory when I use the word you, but when I do, I'm just simply saying it in a general way. Okay. That's, uh, well, you know that, but maybe somebody doesn't. They hear me saying you have no part in God and I'm, I'm not talking specifically. Well, I'm I didn't talking, know that. I thought it was always... <laughs> It's always, Sergio. Always. Okay, we're just on time. Let's have a prayer. Heavenly Father, we are very grateful to you for what you did in Christ. Lord, uh, it is certain that there is no other path to you than him. Because if there was, then you wouldn't have done, you wouldn't have allowed to be done to Christ what happened to him. And so, Lord, we are thankful for what you did. We're thankful for what occurred. And we would hope that you would give us strength and the resolve to never equivocate on this truth and to be willing to tell it even at the expense of our lives. And Lord, we'd like to lift up those people in Pakistan that lost everything but kept their Bibles and that are willing to forsake everything of this world for the hope of Jesus Christ. May we be that strong and resolved here in the U.S. once again. If it takes a, a national catastrophe to bring us to that state, may it be so. Whatever it is, Lord, your people need redirection and they need humility. And it's something that's severely lacking in this world. Help each one of us to have that attitude and to try to express it to others so that they will see that what is being talked about is of the most, most importance of all, of the greatest weight of all. Help us to be that type of a person, Lord, each of us. And may you be glorified in how we conduct ourselves. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let me back this up. Back this up. Back this up. Okay, let's see. Break, 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 break. Yeah, no, yes, break. Okay.